Oakridge family. I feel special being up here with all the decorations for VBS still up and watching that video. I just feel like a part of the action. There's been a lot of action this week down in Rio because uh, we have the Olympics and it's been great watching a little bit of that. Uh, But uh, when I was here on Friday witnessing some of the VBS activities and the games and the, the joy and the serving the kids. I wonder which games the Lord was more interested in watching. I think he was more interested in watching the loving service that was going on at Oak Ridge. Don't you think so? Yeah, God bless. Our text for today is Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 34. Mark is the gospel of service. And the main verse for Mark is chapter 10 and verse 45. And we were studying this memory verse before. I wonder how many of us still remember it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. Can we say it together? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10:45. A few weeks ago, Wayne Baxter was here, and he discussed the baptism of Jesus. He showed us that Jesus' baptism was a commitment to suffer as a servant, a willingness to bear the load of service, and finally to give himself on the cross as a ransom for us. That is exactly where Mark begins his gospel. Not with a kingly genealogy that we find in Matthew, because Matthew is showing us the king. Not with a birth announcement as in Luke, because there the Holy Spirit intends to teach us that Jesus is truly a man and truly God. Not with the introduction of the word in John chapter 1, because John's gospel is showing us how Jesus is the heavenly Son of God. But in Mark, the action begins with Jesus coming to be a servant. And that's what Wayne Baxter was teaching us, that it was submission to do the will of God in life. And that's where Jesus begins in Mark. And then he teaches us to serve as well. In fact, many people have called Mark's gospel a handbook for discipleship, a primer for Christian service, because that's what Mark's gospel is all about. Now, Mark chapter 6 is where we're heading, so perhaps you could turn to it if you have it in your, if you have a Bible at hand or you have it on your, your iPhone. Mark chapter 6, 1 to 34, is a block of teaching that fits together. Jesus is sending out his disciples to serve. That's the big story that's happening here. And the question is, is there a downside to that? I want to tell you this. There's a downside to almost everything in life, even to eating ice cream. Now, I love ice cream, 
And when I was a kid, we used to get little tiny slivers of ice cream because we kind of divvied up a pint of ice cream amongst the whole family. And we got a sliver. And ever since I've started making money on my own, I thought to myself, I am going to eat more ice cream. I've managed to do so, but not without a downside. It puts pounds on you. So I always have to watch it in the summertime because in the summertime I have a particular craving for ice cream. And uh, I have to watch it because I step on the scales and lo and behold, something magical has happened. I just gained four pounds. There's a downside to almost everything and there is a downside to serving Jesus Christ. To illustrate this idea of upside and downside, I want to share with you my experience of selling vacuum cleaners as a college student. This was many years ago. Jobs were scarce when I was a college student down in University of Windsor. When I saw an ad in the paper for a sales job, I was on it like a fly Turns out it was for an upscale vacuum cleaner company called Compact. And I would be serving as a door-to-door salesman on commission only. Hey, my dad is a salesman. It's got to be in my genes, so maybe I can do this job. At the sales office, I got my introduction. The upside was this. Good chunk of money for a sale. Forty dollars. Wow. At $40 a day, of course, I envisioned selling one vacuum cleaner every day. At $40 a day, I can make a mint. But the downside was there also. Not everybody wants a vacuum cleaner. So you have to convince them. And even more troubling, nobody loves a vacuum cleaner salesman when he shows up at your door. Doors slammed in the face. Unpleasant language, etc., etc. Upside, downside. And I measured it and I said, I'm going to give it a shot. I used my family as a guinea pig for the demonstrations, practicing and practicing until I had it all memorized. They encouraged me a lot, but as I remember, none of them ever bought a vacuum cleaner from me. <laughs> However, I was ready now, and I went out into the world selling vacuum cleaners. How did I do? I'll tell you the rest of the story later. Upside, downside. There is both in following Jesus, as we have already noted in Mark as we've gone through the early chapters of Mark. Just to review a little bit, Jesus didn't put an ad in the paper for a team to train in missions. He didn't post on jobshop.com. He went personally to each candidate he wanted, and he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Each one signed up in turn. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, and the others. And what an upside there was to serving Jesus. They were following the one who had the stature of a prophet of old, Someone 
like John the Baptist. His teachings were wonderful and inspiring, challenging and fresh, and delivered with such authority. And then to see the miracles. What a thrill. What a rush it must have been for those disciples in those days. Seeing the crowds swell from hundreds to thousands as person after person is healed from all manner of disease. Paralysis, leprosy, demon possession, even death itself presented no barrier for Jesus. Nature and storm bowed to his word and will. Following Jesus was where the action was. It's great to follow a winner. And how did the disciples feel? Man, I could just imagine it. Joyful, excited, getting up the next morning and saying, what are we going to experience today? And they were thankful to be on the mission team, full of anticipation at what tomorrow might bring. Lots of upside, lots of upside. Then Jesus leads them to his hometown of Nazareth. And we begin reading in chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him and that he doesn't even, that he does even miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Notice in verse 1, Jesus is accompanied by his disciples. He brings them to Nazareth. And if I read my Bible correctly, this is the second time that Jesus went to Nazareth. And perhaps there were other times as well, because Nazareth was his hometown. It's where his family was, and he must have visited his home more often than just once or twice in the several years of his ministry. But two occasions are recorded, and the first one is recorded in Luke chapter 4. We won't turn to it for sake of time. You can read it later. But in Luke chapter 4, right after he was baptized by John, Jesus went by himself, it seems, to Nazareth. And they asked him to read the scripture of the day, and he stood up and he read Isaiah 61, which tells about the gracious ministry of Messiah. And then he sits down after he's read that passage, and he said, this day, this day, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was claiming to be the one who the prophet was talking about, the one who would come and bring blessing and bring salvation to his people. And they took such offense at him for what he was saying that uh, a number of them, in their rage, grabbed him and took him out of town and threatened to throw him over a cliff. 
but he escaped out of their midst. Now, that's the backdrop of the second visit now. The, the first visit's over, and now Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, fellas, let's go to Nazareth, to those nice people in Nazareth, and, and, and talk to them about salvation once again. Why, oh, why would he want to go back into that bee's nest? It was for his disciples, not for himself. He knew the kind of reception he got the first time, and it wasn't much better the second time. They still took offense at him. The measure of their, of their offense was what they were saying about him. You know, we know Jesus. We, we see his brothers and sisters here, and isn't he Mary's son? Now, you have to understand this, that the Jews were identified not by their mother, they were identified by their father. And so even if a father was dead, they would still be John Ben David. If the father was David, they, he would be son of David, not son of David's of wife, not son of the mother. And so what they were doing was particularly honing in on the shameful past, seemingly, of a mother who did not have a legitimate husband. And they were saying, this is the shameful product. How dare he call himself the Savior? How dare he misrepresent himself in such a way to us? We know who he is. We know him. And that's the same kind of reception that he got the first time. This time, why did he go? He wanted his disciples to see something very important, and that is this. Lesson one in the downside of following Jesus. Disciples of mine, Jesus says, you may get rejection even from your family and friends. Now, when Kathy and I went to Zambia as missionaries many years ago, we were thankful for the support of our family. They didn't buy my vacuum cleaner, but they did encourage and support me in my mission for Jesus. But others were not so supportive. There was a friend, a young man who I was seeking to encourage, a Christian man who I was seeking to encourage in ministry at the time. He had some disappointments in his life and was disillusioned at that point. When I told him I was going to Zambia, he said, I question your motives. And he was pretty hard on me. A doctor I was working with at the time, not a Christian, but a very fine man, when I told him about my going to Zambia with my wife and 18-month-old child, he became very incensed with me. He said, don't you know you are putting your child at risk for diseases? You are an unfit father. There's always going to be rejection at one point or another, and sometimes the rejection comes from those who are near and dear. That's part of the downside of serving Jesus. Are you ready for that downside? Let us press on in our text. Matthew, Mark chapter uh, 6, starting at verse 6. 
And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you, or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Now here's where Jesus sends them out on their first solo flight. One of our young people, Jonathan Elliott, just a few weeks ago, passed his first solo airplane flight. Good going, Jonathan. Well, they weren't going quite solo because Jesus sent them out one, not just one at a time, he sent them out two by two so that they could mutually encourage one another. And also, when you're giving testimony in Israel, it required not just one witness, but it required two witnesses. So there were two people giving testimony each time they went into a village. This was the first time They didn't have Jesus with them. And so it was a new thing. Before, they were observing as Jesus did wonderful things and perhaps participating with him in the ministry, but never by themselves. Now they had to trust the authority that he gave them and not his actual presence with them. And so they did it. And it was wonderful, the results that they had. But Jesus had warned them in advance there's going to be rejection. Now, why did he tell them to, to dress sparsely, and why did he tell them not to take extra things with them? No, no purse, no belt, no extra clothing. Well, there was a law in Israel about showing hospitality to strangers, especially those who were in need. And Jesus was telling them that they were to qualify for that hospitality. You don't go rich into the city. Then the people who received them would in turn receive a blessing from the Lord if they took in the strangers who were in need. If they didn't, they would not receive the blessing. And then they were told, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Now, shaking the dust off the feet was a sign of judgment on the people who were rejecting them. And perhaps a sign that by rejecting the disciples of Christ, they were rendering themselves unclean. And so the dust was unclean. The dust of that town was unclean because of their spirit of rejection. By these words, Jesus was warning them. Now listen, disciples. And remember what happened to me in Nazareth. It's going to happen to you too. Some doors will open to you. Others will be slammed in your face, and it's going to hurt. You will not be welcomed. You will be persona non grata, and you will be asked to leave or forced to leave. Lesson number two in the downside of following Jesus. Doors in your face. Rejection by those you have come to serve. 
Some, perhaps many, will not respond to the good news and, and the gracious blessings, but rather close the door in your face. The ones you minister to will reject you as well. I remember one man, when I was a, a missionary in Africa, I remember one man, a village headman, very important man in the community where he was, he came to Chitokoloki Hospital blind due to cataracts. He was a notorious sinner, an alcoholic and a carouser who operated a tavern on the main road to town. He served all who, we served all who came to Chitokoloki without reference to lifestyle, and so he got the best of service, the best of care. His cataracts were removed successfully, and he was given reading glasses free to boot. In his joy, he said that he would trust in Jesus as Savior. Started to sing the songs, pray the prayers. We believed him. We thought that he was a Christian. And then he asked us to come to his village to preach the gospel. That Sunday, we drove him and his several wives to the village to preach. When he got home, he immediately got drunk. He enticed the young Christian man who I had with me to get drunk as well. I was made unwelcome on the village and so left as it had degenerated into a drunken brawl. I pulled the drunken young man into the Land Rover to take him home before he got into worse trouble. I can't remember if I shook the dust off my feet or not. We're going to skip the next story because it begins in verse 14. We're going to skip it and go back to it in a couple of minutes. Let's go on to the end of the mission. The, where the disciples come back to Jesus in verse 30. And here we're going to talk about lesson number three in the downside of serving Jesus. You will get tired and you may wear yourself out. The disciples had been out on the mission now for perhaps weeks, perhaps a couple of months. We don't know. They were preaching repentance, healing the sick, casting out demons. When they came back to Jesus, Jesus had a debriefing session with them. Wow, they were excited. The downside was forgotten with all of the flush of success. Yes, they'd had some closed doors, but many were open. Many had responded with repentance and faith, and they were pumped. I remember one day in the in the Kalani mission when we, we served there, that we baptized 50, 56 people on one afternoon at a place near the Angola border. Angolans and Zambians together, young and old, all responding to the message of the gospel. It was a great day. But now the disciples had another problem. People were following them now. They didn't just go to people's villages. People were coming out of their villages to them. They were excited to come and to hear the good word of Jesus. They were excited to come and bring the sick and the dying to the Lord so that the Lord could touch them and heal them. And there were those who were demon-possessed who were looking for relief. They were coming to Jesus. It says that they did not even have a chance to eat. 
Beware of success. It brings more work. Lots of work can make you tired and careless of maintaining your diet and guarding your downtime. They say the reward for doing good work is that more work will be given to you. And certainly that's what the disciples were experiencing. And that is the time where if you keep working in the zeal of your soul, your body will get tired and burn out and you won't even recognize it. And that's what usually is the cause for burnout. People don't realize that they're living well beyond the limits of that day. And if you do that for day after day after day, that's what's called burnout. Your body says, I'm not going any farther. It's a good thing VBS is only once a year, isn't it? Because I see some tired people out there. Time to rest. And that's what Jesus said. Verse 30, it says, after and uh, they came and reported to him, and then in verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some Rest. A little time for R and R. After work, you need to rest. After activity like that, there needs to be some enjoyable downtime. And sometimes in our missionary zeal, sometimes in the fervency of spirit for Christ, we think that it has to be work, 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 and then more work. And that's not Jesus' style. That's not what he told them. He said, He didn't say, come for more work. He said, come and rest. It is said of John Wesley, that great preacher of England in a past century, when he started a boys' orphanage, there was a list of rules for the boys. The first rule was this. There will be no time given for fun. Now, that man was blessed of the Lord. But I suspect, you see, that in this one aspect of his missionary and Christian experience, he was off balance. If you don't take time to relax, if you don't don't take time to rest, your body will get beaten down and you won't be able to live well beyond that. So the Lord believes in R&R. He did not say to his disciples, look, more work, get busy. He says, come, come, let's go out in a boat, let's get away from the crowd, and let's go to a quiet place where we can find some rest. By the way, God bless the VBS workers. I hope you get some rest this week. Now let's return to the story we missed. And that is in the uh, the, uh, 15th verse of this chapter, the 14th verse. It says this, King Herod heard about this, and that is all the activity well, that was going on around Jesus, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others say he's Elijah, and still others claim he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. So we come to lesson four in the downside of serving Jesus. You may lose your life serving Jesus. 
there may be martyrdom in the service of Christ. And that is what the substance of this particular story is all about. And by the way, this is the only story in the Gospel of Mark, when, it, when we're talking about Herod interacting with John the Baptist, it's the only story in the Gospel of Mark that does not directly involve Jesus. Why does Jesus allow such a story to be put into his gospel? It's because he so admired his servant. Why are 15 verses of this gospel given over to John the Baptist? Only three verses in Mark chapter 1 are given over to his actual service. But 15 verses are given over to his death and his martyrdom. Why is that? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Jesus loves it when my devotion carries me to give my all for the Lord. Now, what's the story? Well, first of all, King Herod was not really a king. He was a governor of the area of Galilee appointed by Rome. He was on a par with Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the governor down in Jerusalem and Judea, and Herod was the governor up in Galilee to the north and Perea, those, those places up towards the north. He was not really a king, but he acted like a king, and people tended to call him that, so it made him feel good. It was he who had recently beheaded John the Baptist. And this was just about the time when the disciples were going out on their missionary journey. John the Baptist was not out on a mission. John the Baptist was in prison. And when Herod heard all about what Jesus was doing, and all about that ministry that was sparking the interest and the desires and the, the wonderful uh, results of that ministry for, in the people... Herod said, I know what's happened. John the Baptist has come back to haunt me. It's John the Baptist. Now, what had happened in the death of John the Baptist is the stuff of the tabloids that you read on the super, at the supermarket checkout. I look at those titles as I go by every day to get my lunch at the, at the, at the metro, and I think to myself, the world is indeed in a mess when you see all those titles. Sex, wild parties, murder plots, and at the end of it, at the end of this story, a wonderful servant of the Lord is dead. Now what had happened is this. Herod had divorced his wife, and Herodias, the lady in question, had divorced her husband. Two, two families broken up so that this love couple could get together. I mean, this is a Hollywood plot, right? And we say, isn't that wonderful that those people fi finally find love together? A wonderful, wonderful fairy tale. No, it's not. It's evil in the sight of God. John the Baptist was the thorn in the side of this wonderful love affair because he kept saying to Herod, this is unlawful. John had the courage to declare what was right, even to the king. That was a prophet's job. A prophet's job was to instruct the king in righteousness. 
Now, Herod was no doubt upset by this negative publicity from John, but Herodias was enraged, and she wanted him dead. One day, Herod had a stag party for all his officers and leading men of Galilee, and Salome, the the mother's daughter, danced for the men. Now, I didn't put a a picture up there of what the dance might have been like because it would have made you blush. It was a provocative dance. I tell you, men don't get excited over ballet. This was a provocative dance. And Herod was so excited about it and so entranced by it, he said, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, whatever you wish. Now, remember, he didn't have a kingdom to give. That's how distressed he was, you see. He, he thought he was a king, but he really wasn't. He had nothing to give. He said, I'll give you up to half my kingdom, whatever you want. And Salome, the daughter, went to the mother and said, what do, we, what do we want? And the mother said, the head of John the Baptist. So Salome comes back to the king, and, the, and she says, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And in front of all of the leading men of Galilee, see, he couldn't lose face. And he knew that what he was doing was bad, bad, bad. But he said, go and chop off his head. How could it be? Why would God allow such a thing to happen? Surely that is not God's will for the servants of the Lord. And that's what we think. But you see that God's economy is a little different from ours. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And what God knows is this. The proper bed, the proper nourishment for the church is the lifeblood of martyrs. That's what inspires God's people to further devotion when they see one, two, or more of God's people giving their all for him. And John was a a wonderful example of that. Have you ever witnessed a martyr being slain? Many of us have seen the gory images on TV or Internet of the martyrdom of Christians in countries like Iraq, Iran, Libya, Egypt. But I saw one up close. Nessie Riddell was a fellow missionary, a senior missionary at Kalini Mission Hospital. She did a lot of charity work, distributing clothing and blankets to the needy while she taught in the villages. Very quiet and loving lady. Someone wanted more, and so they came to Nessie's house at night to rob her. Her place wasn't more than about 60 meters from our house. Her door was always open at night because... She knew that people often had needs that that brought them to her in the night. Somebody came in and beat her and killed her, all for a few blankets. We found her dead body the next morning right at the door of her house. And a few days later, we buried her on Kalani Hill. The murderer was never discovered. Mark is the gospel of baptism and service. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture of surrender to follow the Lord wherever and whatever, and that may lead even to death. And actually, baptism itself is like a burial. It's interesting that we just experienced the baptism two weeks ago, and we're going to get another baptism in two weeks. And those who get baptized need to know this. 
They're giving the rights to their life away. They're choosing to die before they die physically. They die to Jesus. And they say, my life is yours. And that's why the whole body goes under the water. Why? I'm giving it all away. I'm giving it to Jesus. And God gives great honor to those who lay down their lives for him. Listen to this verse, Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. And this is the truth. Whatever you do in your life that is for yourself will be lost forever. It's of no use to God. It doesn't get taken to glory. Whatever you've done to the Lord will be remembered forever. It gets taken to glory and you end up saving your life. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, I told you I would give you the rest of the story about my vacuum cleaner sales days. Initially, I did very well. I was, say, I was selling some of the product, and I was making money, and my manager was patting me on the back and saying, you go get them, uh, Jim, you're a natural. I was feeling good, and I was going out and selling those compact vacuum cleaners. The product was great, the demo was fun, and I was making money to boot. Then overnight, they doubled the price of the machine. I was shocked. I believed the machine was worth it for the old price, but not for the new price. Not worth it. And I can remember in my head just making that condemnation over that machine. It's not worth it at that price. From that day on, I never sold another machine. My heart wasn't in it. And soon after that, I quit the company. Now, some of us, even believers, who when thinking of serving Jesus and the possible downside of serving Jesus, are tempted to say this in our hearts. Not worth it. So we leave the job. We let others do it. Or we never get started in the first place. So my question to you is this. This is the question that I put to you after you've heard the downside of serving Jesus. Is Jesus worth it to you? What's the valuation of Christ in your hearts? Is he worth your service? Is he worth your time? Is he worth your money? Is he worth your devotion? Is he worth your life? You have to decide that for yourself. God bless you.